I greet you all this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we come to worship him this day. Let us stand and sing our praise to God. As we've sung, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. As we welcome the light of the world that is among us, that comes in Jesus Christ our Lord. Please be seated. Just a couple of quick announcements today. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And remember to call your mom. Um, just uh, the flowers in the service today are from memory of... Viola uh, and Harry, uh, whose Harry, Harry's burial will be later this afternoon, 2 o'clock at Brookside Cemetery. Um, our prayers are with all the families that mourn at this time. Our next church council meeting is scheduled for May 23rd at 7 p.m. and worship committee will meet at 6. Um, as far as collecting things for the food bank and for the Northside families, our next collection date will be June 4th. And there's a list of things on our website, as well as um, on the sh brief short bulletins at the back of the service. I don't have any other announcements this morning. Are there any other announcements to share today? Let's join together then in a responsive psalm, Psalm 40. Patiently for you, O God, you bent down and heard my cry. You put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many shall see and wonder, and they will put their trust in you. you Blessed are those whose trust is in God. Who have not turned to the crowd, nor to those who follow the Lord. O God, my God, you have multiplied your wondrous deeds. And your 
I would proclaim and tell of them. But they are more than can be Sacrifice. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you have not required. But you have opened my ears to hear, and I said, Here I am, ready to do what is written in the scroll of the book. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I did not restrain my lips, as you well know. I have not kept your goodness hidden in my heart, but have spoken of your faithfulness and your saving love. I have not concealed your steadfast love, nor your truth from the great congregation. Do not withhold from me your tender care, O God. May your love and truth ever preserve me. presence among us causes us to celebrate your greatness. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to worship you. Be with us as we seek to grow in our faith and draw closer to you through our, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us sing together the Church's One Foundation.
Today I'm reading from Timothy 2, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an disciple of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of the sincere faith which lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fame into flame the gift of God, which is in you by the laying of my hands. For God did not give us the spirit of Timothy, by the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who have saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of our own power, purpose, and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it is now revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering like I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know who I believed and am convinced that is able to guide what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep a pattern of sound teaching with faith, love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted into you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord.
Let us pray. Lord, we come to praise your name, to celebrate your gift of life to us, to sing our hallelujahs, to be in your presence here. And so, Lord, as we gather, as we ponder the words we have read, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Family is important. We've seen that in the last couple of funerals we've had here in our church for Minnie Roberts and Violet Thompson. Both women who were treasured, who treasured their families and their families treasured coming together to celebrate their matriarchs. They were both beautiful services in celebration of two lovely, wonderful women who meant a lot to their families, but also meant a lot to their church and this community. It was my honor to be part of these celebrations with these families. Of course, it's being related by blood that makes us family. However, there are people I'm related to I've never had a conversation with. For example, my cousins have children. But for many, I have no idea who they are, where they are, what they do, or for that matter, I don't even know how old they are. This blood family can sometimes surprise us and surprise those around us. For example, I was standing at the back of the church on Wednesday as the Thompson family arrived. We're all wearing our masks, and a man walked in, and I immediately felt like I knew him. I recognized the eyes, I recognized the hair. So I said, Tom Thompson? He said, yes. And I quickly introduced myself. You see, Tom coached my grade 12 basketball team in Bridgewater when he was just a new teacher. I had no idea his father was Bud's, fa was Bud's brother. I had no idea they had connections to City Mines. And how could I, really? It's not like I think of him all that often. I haven't even seen him in over 30 years. But what a small world, eh? There's also another family that we hold dear to us. This is what we might call our chosen family. This could be your church family. It could be your close friends that you treat like family. It's a group of people you love and probably see and talk to more often than your own family. Anna was in Hamilton, Ontario a few weeks ago. It was her second attempt at her 16th birthday gift, which turned into her 19th birthday gift. She primarily went to see the musical Hamilton in Toronto. But she stayed with her friend Debbie in Hamilton, the city. You may remember Debbie. She came down to visit us four or five years ago and uh, preached here on the Sunday morning. In a Facebook post, after she dropped Anna off at the airport at 4.30 in the morning, Debbie said, My incredible, beautiful, hilarious, creative, brilliant, chosen niece left here at a ridiculously early hour. What a blessing it is to hang out with such an amazing young adult and share in a few adventures, wonderings, and experiences. Her chosen niece. Debbie sees Anna as a member of her family, just as she sees all four of us as members of her family. Just as we see Debbie as a member of our family, as a chosen sister, we call her. This chosen family is really not, a, not uncommon when you think about it. As you read through the Bible, through the letters of the New Testament especially, you see people calling them one another brothers and sisters in Christ all over the place. They see themselves as related through the church, through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, and as children of God. 
And in reality, when you think about the church as a family, it does make sense. People in the church act like a family. We love coming together on Sunday mornings and love coming together at events throughout the year. We are happy to see one another. Is everything perfect all the time? No. Like family, we may butt heads once in a while. We may view things differently. We may not always agree on everything. Typical family stuff, really. But in the end, we tend to truly love one another, much like family. And when Paul opens up his letter, his second letter to Timothy, he calls Timothy his beloved child. Paul sees Timothy as more than just his student, as his protege, more than just a friend. He calls him his child. Now there's great debate going on on whether or not Paul was ever married. It's commonly believed that he was most certainly single after his conversion on the road to Damascus. But very little is known of his earlier life. As a prominent Jew, he may have very well been married at some point in time. And if he was married, he was, so this means he was either widowed or divorced at the time of his conversion. It's one of the mysteries of the Bible, really. But ultimately, it's not an issue that has any impact on how Paul lived his life as a missionary for Christ. It didn't matter, it didn't diminish his impact on if he was married, widowed, or even divorced. But it is clear that Paul is single at the time of his conversion to Christianity and stays single for the rest of his life. It's also clear that he sees Timothy as a member of his chosen family, a special member. And what is a little bit extra special about this letter is that 2 Timothy is known to be Paul's last letter he writes. And he writes it to Timothy. And he's writing before his death in Rome. He's writing from a prison cell, waiting for his sentence. It's not the first time Paul's been in prison, but it will be his last. People have also been questioning the authenticity, the authorship of 2 Timothy. Did Paul really write it, they wonder? Again, there's all kinds of debate going on among the academics about if Paul really wrote this letter. Those who say Paul didn't write it point to the fact that this letter carries a different tone. It has a different feel than all of his other letters. It doesn't sound like Paul at times. Then again, as I read it, knowing Paul, may, knowing Paul knows the end is near, I would think you might expect a bit of a different tone, a different focus. Yet through this, Paul continues to teach his students, albeit with a slightly different take, a different feel than his other letters. Paul says he longs to see Timothy, yet seems to know it's impossible. He reminisces about Timothy and the history they have shared together. Paul speaks about Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And he talks about the great faith that they had that they passed down to Timothy. This is interesting because Timothy's father is Greek. And within the family, the father had all authority, especially around religion and his teachings. And since his father appears to have not been a Christian, Timothy's grandmother and mother became the teachers of the faith acting outside of the norm of family dynamics for those days. 
I'll take a moment to point back at something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. How in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul will read, uh, people will read Paul's words that he will not allow a woman to teach a man. And they use that passage exclusively to deny women the opportunity to have leadership in the church. Yet here we have an example of two women who taught their son about the faith and possibly even led his father to Christ as well. They are acting outside of typical family responsibilities. And Paul in 2 Timothy is celebrating them. This shows again that we cannot take one verse to be the exclusive authority on a particular matter in life of the church. We must take in the wider context, the wider teaching of the Bible. We need to take all of this into consideration before we make any kind of judgment. The Bible is meant to be used as a whole to guide our lives and the life of the church. So as Paul is reflecting on Timothy's life, he celebrates these two women. And he celebrates how he has seen Timothy blossom into a trusted and respected leader in the church. The church that is in Ephesus. And it's clear Paul is proud of his protege, his chosen son. And Paul encourages Timothy, he says, they have been gifted by God with not a spirit of cowardice, but with a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. All this is showing us that, that Paul has taken on a very important role in the church. Paul is about 60 years old when he's writing this letter, which is a fairly long and productive life for first, for first century of, after Christ. And who really knows how much longer he might have lived if he were not executed by the Romans? And we believe he was beheaded. As Paul aged, he took on a critically important role. He became a teacher of the next generation. He identified leaders in the church and he took them under his wing to raise the next generation who would lead the church after he was gone. For the 14 years since I've been ordained, I've been blessed by clergy who are much wiser and much more experienced than myself, who have taken me under their wings to help me become a better leader in the church. These people, they are trusted friends and colleagues, and they have contributed in incredible ways to myself and my ministry, which has in turn impacted our ministry here together at Carmen. I think of, of without people like Anthony Bailey, Connie Denbach, Diane Walker, Orville James, Andrew Sterling, to name just a few. Myself and other clergy of my generation, we may not feel as confident or as well supported in our ministries without them. And as these people have begun to step into retirement, I and others of my generation have started to feel that maybe it's our time to start to mentor and support the next generation who is coming behind us. I should probably point out someone of, of local interest as well. Reverend Ralph Johnston was long retired by the time I moved to Sydney Mines. And it was 14 years ago yesterday that I found out I was moving here, by the way. I only met Ralph maybe three or four times, personally. But whenever we met, he always took the time to, to talk to me, to see how I was doing, to encourage me with just a few words. I remember once he even called me on the phone out of the blue one day, just because he was thinking about all the new clergy that had moved to the area and just wanted to say hello and ask how I was doing. Ralph passed away on April 16th of this year, 
to be with the Lord. And I thank him for that ministry to me as, as seeming, in those seemingly fleeting moments. And I thank him for the ministry he provided to others around Cape Breton as well. Even those small touches, those short interactions, made me feel like I was doing a good job. I was appreciated. It made me feel less alone in a vocation that is full of isolation. It's isolation that comes from things like holding private conversations as secret. All this which requires the building of walls and boundaries to protect ourselves, our churches, and our families. Ministry can be a lonely place. It's no one's fault. It's just the nature of the work that we do. It's just how we learn to deal with it. How we connect with others who are in the same boat as we are. That helps us manage and endure the daily work we, under, we, we engage in. This is the kind of Paul, this is the kind of example Paul is setting up as a leader in the church. That as Paul aged, he was less of a preacher and more of a teacher. He continually worked with the next generation, supporting them, encouraging them, teaching them, guiding them, so that they would be ready to lead when their time comes. Paul has raised Timothy to be such a leader among others. Paul knows his death is coming soon. So he says, Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel and the power of God. Leadership, mentoring, teaching, it is hard work. And not everyone is going to accept the teachings. Paul, in this letter and other letters, he says some of his students have turned away from him. They've stepped away from the faith. And in a way, it's natural. You teachers know what I'm talking about. You pour about 10 months of your life into a classroom full of children every single year. And you know not all of them will succeed. Some will struggle. A few will make some bad life decisions. But in the end, you hope for the best for all of them. You have done your best for them. And now it is up to them to carry it on. Paul has had to deal with the same thing. Paul goes on to say, Do not be ashamed. Join with me in the suffering for the gospel. Paul has seen leaders come and go. He has seen churches grow and flourish. And he's seen other churches struggle for leadership, struggle for unity, for meaning. Paul knows the pain that leaders face. Even in the name of Jesus, it can be difficult to bring people together in unity if not everyone is looking at the same vision, moving in the same direction. But I think if you ask Paul, I think he would say that it was worth every bead of sweat, that it was worth every heartbroken tear, just to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and join the church. And I would agree. We, as people of the church, and those who have experienced the life and teachings of Jesus for ourselves, those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord, it is up to us, all of us, to help the next generation know our Savior in our own lives, in, in their own lives. And we must do it together. We cannot do it on our own. It is just too much for one person. We need each other. We need each other for support, strength, and encouragement to keep on doing God's work together. Timothy didn't do it alone. Paul also wrote to Titus. Titus didn't do it alone. They did it with Paul, even though he was miles away. 
They did it with the gathered church that they were leading. They did it all together, teaching, praying, learning, growing their faith. It was all done together so that they would feel equipped. They would feel supported in sharing the good news of Jesus to the communities in which they lived and they served. The final words from our reading in Paul today say this. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Paul sees his teachings as an investment. He has invested, he has made a deposit of faith into Timothy. An investment Timothy is going to be taking care of, to grow wisely and to share with others. The teaching that Paul has deposited is all about faith in Christ our Lord, of not just the church, but of our lives as we follow our Savior. Paul ends chapter 1, just past what we read this morning, by naming a few of the leaders in the church that have walked away, people Timothy would know. Yet even for these men, Paul says he prays God's mercy upon them. People leaving the church, they've been doing it since the very beginning. And for whatever reason they leave, we pray for God's mercy to end God's love to be with them. We pray that God will protect their hearts and minds and help them keep the faith. Even when people have left churches that I lead, my prayers go with them. If it has been me or my leadership that has turned them away, I pray they find a new church home where they feel they can continue to grow in their faith. Just because they may not be comfortable with my leadership, it doesn't mean that my teaching or my faith or their faith or their ability to be a child of God is wrong or compromised. It just means to me that maybe there's a better church home out there for them. And I wish them all the best in finding it. I'm even willing to help them find a new church if they, were, if they wish for me to help them. In the meantime, we continue to seek to grow in our faith together. We seek more of Jesus in our lives. We seek to have courage. We seek to have strength and the will to share the good news of Jesus with those who are around us. We seek to deposit the faith we have into the lives of those we see and teach. And we welcome them to be part of the, our lives here in this church. I think about the financial investments I've made over the years that we've been putting away as, as Bev and I look forward to retirement, whenever that's going to be. And maybe there are months where I'd rather hold on to that money because maybe things are a little tight. But if I deposit it, if I put that money away for our future through our investments, it grows, it gains interest, it gains value that I can use later. Our faith is also an investment, but we can't hold on to it. Just like hiding money under the mattress doesn't grow, neither does faith we hide. Faith that we keep hidden for ourselves. Faith is meant to be shared. That's how faith grows. May we be so brave, so unselfish, so generous with our faith that we are willing to deposit it in those who are around us, the next generation. May we be willing to share our faith with the next generation so that the church will flourish in faithfulness for all the world to see. May we be willing to be like Paul, to see the next generation not just as the next leaders of the church, but as people the church can use today. And may we be willing to deposit the faith we carry into them as an investment worthy of our time and our energy 
to make Christ known for generations to come. Amen. Let us sing together, the Lord's my shepherd. Let us join our hearts in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we gather this day, ever thankful for the blessings in our lives, for the faith that has been deposited into us by those who have gone before us, those who have mentored us and taught us and taken us under their wings, so that we may know of your love, your mercy, and your grace for all our days. Lord, we ask that you guide us as people of faith to learn to deposit our faith into the lives of others through simple words, through simple actions of your grace and love. Lord, may we 
as a church, be faithful witnesses of all that you have done for us. And may we share this love, this peace, this grace with the community in which we sit. Lord, we also come thankful for mothers in our lives and mother figures in our lives. And we ask you to bless all mothers, all women, all people who have been mothers to us, Lord, we also come with concerns in our hearts for the world in which we live. Lord, today we pray for those whose lives have been impacted by disease, by cancer, by COVID, by so many things, God. And we ask your healing presence to be upon all who are sick this day. Lord, we pray for our community. We pray for our governments. We pray for the needs of those who are cold and hungry and homeless. Lord, may everyone have the basic necessities of life. May everyone have all they need to get through this day and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, we pray for peace to come in this world. We pray for peace in places of war, places like Ukraine, places like Sudan, all these places, O oh God, and many more that seem to know nothing but violence these days as people flee for their lives, as governments do battle through armies and sanctions and violence. Lord, this is not the world that you have created. And so we pray for peace to come. Peace in our day, in our age. And we pray for governments to come together to discuss paths of peace as you would have them uh, follow such paths. And Lord, we pray for violence that is occurring in our own communities and communities around the world gun violence and drug violence and poverty-related violence. Lord, we pray against these things. And again, pray for peace and healing to come. And we pray for our environment, O oh God. In a world where weather systems become problematic. In a world where hurricanes and Tornadoes and global warming, and sea levels, and all these things, oh God, come together in a crisis. And so we pray that we as a people, as governments, as industries, as nations, can find ways to restore, restore the earth as you have created, a place for everyone. A place of peace. A peace. A place of a beautiful garden. And Lord, we come before you now.
with our own prayers of our hearts as we lift them to you. Lord, for all that we have prayed for this day, may you hear our pleas, and may you guide us to make this world a better place as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the one who brought peace, brought mercy, brought forgiveness and healing to this world. And as we follow him, we pray in his name, as we say it together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. As we respond to the greatness of God and the gifts that he has given us, we give back to God a portion of what all belongs to Him. Our offering will now be received.
you have blessed us abundantly with your love. In appreciation of the gifts you give, we respond by offering all we have in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. Our closing hymn today is, I'm going to live so God can use me. so that God can use us anywhere, anytime, as we seek to share our faith with the world which lives around us, so that all may come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in each and every one of us, now and forever. Amen.